Honest, real, raw, true conversation and prayer with God. down into the water and when you do the old person dies you come up out of the water as a new creation of Jesus Christ Hey, welcome to Church Experience. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us. Now is a great time to grab your weeklies and head to your seats if you haven't already because the service starts in 90 seconds. I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free. Oh, yeah. He wants to set you free. with him grow in your walk with him get closer to him spend more time with him because he's better if you want your life to get better then get around the one who is better get around jesus get around the one who has power to change and transform your life get around the one who has the perfect grace for you and the perfect love for you and the perfect joy for your soul listen he is better 
Welcome to Church Experience Online. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We are so excited about today's service. We believe this could be the best and most impacting hour of your week. Throughout the service, you may have some questions, comments, prayer requests. Go to churchexperience.tv backslash connect or pull out your camera app and hit up on our QR code to connect with us. Better yet, if you always want to know what's going on here at CE, just hit that subscribe button right here. We'd love to hear from you, get back to you, and be praying for you. We are ready to dive in. Would you stand with me as we sing some worship songs to Jesus? A sacrifice of praise A city on a hill Surrender to your will Your glory on display Your glory on display Awesome in this place Jesus, you are awesome in this place Worthy to be praised Jesus, you are worthy Consuming every space, it's uncontainable. You're coming like a flood, our hearts are filling up, all things are possible. All things are possible. Awesome in this place, Jesus, you are awesome in this place. Worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. You will be praised. You will be praised. 
Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus. Father, thank you for what you do for us. 
Thank you for how you're there for us. Lord, that we can speak to you in a prayer and we know that you'll answer. We know that you'll be right there with us. And Father, that you're so loving that you hear every word. You feel every word we feel, Lord, because you know our hearts. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for the sacrifice that you took for us, Lord, that only you could pay. We just thank you. We praise and honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last Sunday, we had some friends invite us over for a Friendsgiving, and we had some food together, we laughed together, played some games, and then we settled down to watch the Bucks football game. Now, this is a big game because we've had a rough start to the season. We're playing the Los Angeles Rams, the previous year's Super Bowl champions that barely edged us out. We needed this victory. Like, our city needed this victory. So we're there watching the game all the way up till the very end, and we turn the ball over, we're losing it's like less than a minute to go. It's like, man, we tried, but we lost. So we're bummed. But you know, it's all good. We'd had a great day together. We had a lot of fun. So we get up from the patio where we were watching this game on a television. We walk in this house that we're at, and we're all saying goodbye. We're gathering up our children to leave. We're saying goodbye to each other. And I remember that I left my keys out on the back patio. So I walk back to the patio, go outside, look for my keys, I find them, and just happen to look up at the television before I go back in the house, and I see that Tom Brady, our quarterback, has the football, and he's passing down the field. I'm like, I didn't even think we could get the ball back, let alone go for a touchdown. So I run back to the patio door, open it up, holler inside like, guys, you got to get out of here. We have the ball. It's still a game. So everybody rushes outside, and we stand around the television with our eyes fixed on the screen to see this amazing ending. To Brady's right hip. You've got three plays. If you throw them quickly, don't want to try and scramble around or anything. Just throw it away if it's not there right away. Here's the snap to Brady. Fakes to Fournette. He throws. It's caught. It's in for the touchdown. Incredible. Tampa Bay takes it 60 yards. And the fourth quarter woes continue for the Rams. It's going to be a 10-0 fourth quarter after the extra point, and Kendrick getting picked on on that drive. And though even Ramsey switched over and got picked on twice. But what a play call. Paid Otten, the first touchdown by a tight end this year at Tampa Bay. You're exactly right. You missed that Gronk guy. But how different did that offense look on that drive all oh, of a sudden? It was that was incredible. <laughs> what an amazing finish to a game. But look, we all walked out. We walked out. We thought it was over. I mean, how many people walked out of Raymond James Stadium that night thinking it is over? Let's get out of here before the parking gets crazy. Like, imagine all the people that turned their television sets completely off. And then the next day, they woke up to find out, we didn't lose? Are you kidding me? What did I miss? So many people walk out on God's purpose for them when they experience pain and setbacks when they experience hard times, right? This, this rebounding teaching series that we're in, I'm so excited about it because we're talking about how to bounce back, how to rebound from hard times. The definition of rebounding is to bounce back after hitting a hard surface or object. And every one of us knows what it's like to hit hard objects, obstacles, and barriers. But as we talked about last week when we started this series, when we're down, God's not done. He wants to help us rebound and bounce back to the future, the purpose that he has for us, regardless of what it is that we go through. So I'm really excited about today's message is we're going to look at somebody who, in, in God's word, all of God's word, probably one of the biggest rebounding stories 
in the whole, the whole word of God. I mean, this is a, a story of epic proportions, a story of, of pain and loss and suffering, and then also of amazing blessing. The, the man's name, you've probably heard of him, his name is Job. Job lost so much, yet God did so much more in him and through him. And so we're going to look at this story in Job chapter 1. I'm going to begin with the amazing blessings that Job experienced, beginning in verse 1. It says, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among the people of the East. Now, people today, when they talk about wealth, they talk about how many zeros in their bank account, right? How big their 401k is, how many houses they own, what kind of vehicles they drive. But back then, it was all about livestock. That was, that was giving us an indication of how wealthy Job was. I mean, all the thousands of livestock that he had, it showed us his great wealth. It says he was the greatest man among the peoples of the East. So, so Job was extremely blessed. You know that you don't have to experience poverty to be a righteous person? That, that you can be righteous and wealthy, you can be righteous and prosper. I mean, King David is a great example in the Bible. He was a man after God's own heart, yet he and his son Solomon were some of the richest kings to ever rule this earth. And so poverty does not mean that you're more spiritual, and being spiritual doesn't mean you have to live in poverty. At the same time, there's another extreme that says, hey, if, if you follow God, he's going to bless you immensely. You will, you will prosper materially. You will be healthy and wealthy and happy. See, these, these two extremes, neither one of them are true. This, this poverty mindset that you have to live in poverty to follow God or that he's going to bless you in material prosperity and everything when you follow him, neither one of those are true. These extremes are not true. Now, God can do either one. He can bless you in poverty. He can bless you in prosperity. I mean, this is what, what Paul is saying in the New Testament. He, he said, I've learned to be content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And, and the secret is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, in Christ, I, I can experience the goodness of God and have strength to get through whether it's abundance or, or whether it's lack. I, I can get through that because God is my strength. The most important thing about me is, is not the material things in my life. And, and although Joe was blessed, his, his hope, as you're going to see, was not on the material blessings of his life. And, and today, I want to talk to you about how hope helps us rebound. Hope helps us rebound. Okay, so I want to read some more of this story that we're going to get a little bit more into the content here. Job chapter 1, look at verse 9. It's an interesting conversation where the, the devil comes to God, and we just get a glimpse into this very unique conversation. This is, the devil says, does Job fear God for nothing? God, does, does Job follow you just because of your blessings? That's what he's saying here. Verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. What an interesting and fascinating conversation where the devil is approaching God and asking for permission to cause struggle and hardship in Job's life. And he says to God, his, his case is, Job's only following you because of how, how much you've blessed his life. You've protected him. You've allowed him to prosper. And so he's more attached to the riches than he is to living a righteous life. And God knows that's not true, so he says, go ahead, Satan, go ahead, do, do your worst. But don't, don't touch Job, but you can, you can mess with all the possessions of his life. You know, hope in the wrong thing actually hurts us in the end of the day. And, and Job, his hope was not in all of his possessions. You, you're gonna see here how he loses almost every single material thing in his life. But his hope was not in those material things. And we're given a warning in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. God's word says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
The contrast here is interesting because it mentions rich in two different ways. Those who are rich materially, they have a lot like Job did. But it contrasts that to being rich in God, which is the actual goal, to be, to be righteous, to love the Lord, to be rich in our relationship with him. And it says to not put our hope in wealth, but instead put our hope in God. See, I, I like that that verse contrasts riches, but also contrasts hope. Don't hope in the things of the world. So, so Job had this great abundance. He had livestock. He had amazing wealth. And, and God's saying, when, when you have a lot, it says elsewhere in the Bible, when your riches increase, don't set your eyes on them. Right? Don't get too attached to them. Because here's how the devil works. He, he, he would love for you to get attached to the things of this world because he knows that they can be taken from you. And, and God sometimes allows it, sometimes he doesn't. We don't always understand the mystery of why and how this conversation happened, why it happened. We don't understand all these things. But we know that the things of this world can be taken in a moment. They're not a firm foundation to build our lives on. They're certainly not something to put our hope into. And because the things of this world are so fragile, they're not worth building your life on because it's a hope that can evaporate overnight. And you're going to see that's exactly what happens to Job. In Job chapter 1, take a look at verse 13. It says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from hev the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they were dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What a terrible, terrible set of circumstances. Job literally loses everything. I mean, from one story of bad news to the next story of bad news to the next to the next. I mean, just moment after moment, all, all connected together, bad news after bad news. It's one thing to get bad news, but when you get a series of bad news reports, I mean, this, this can bring you really low. And, and Job has, has lost literally everything. I mean, everything from, from family to wealth possessions. I mean, it's just ripped away from him. We had it the other day, just around our kitchen, one of the, the, the kids had accidentally bumped a, a glass that had some engraving on it, and they had bumped it, and it fell off of the counter, and it crashed all around, across the floor. And you've, you've had this happen in your home, too, where a plate or a glass has dropped, and it's dropped, and it's broken into a million pieces. And, and, and you, you hold your composure for that first moment of reaction, because inside it's it tense, and it's like, oh no, something's broken. Is anyone hurt? But, but you think, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. We can replace a cup. We can replace a dish. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But in the moment, when you look, everything is shattered and it's broken, and you realize there's no way I can put all this back together again. And it's in those moments when, when things in our life literally fall apart and break into pieces that, that we can so easily lose our composure. But what I find that's very interesting here with Job is that it says that he did not sin against God and accuse God of wrongdoing. Even though his whole world was broken into pieces, he kept his composure. He recognized, hey, God gives and God takes away. These are, these are things that I value, that have value to me, but they're not the most valuable thing in my life. Job, even though he's, he's probably upset, discouraged, in despair, here's the thing. Job loved God more than God's gifts. See, Satan said, Job... Job only worships you, God, because of all the gifts you brought into his life. But, but Job, we see here, he worshiped God, and he loved God more than he loved the gifts and blessings that God brought into his life. How about you? Do you love God just for the good things he does in your life? Is your grip tighter on the gifts that God has given you? Or is your grip on God himself the tightest? What's more important to you, God's blessings 
or God himself. How do you know? Well, when you lose the blessings, when things aren't as good. You see this all the time, even among believers, especially those who haven't put roots down in their faith yet. You know, hard times come. They experience losses, setbacks, persecution. Something difficult in their life happens, and instead of rebounding and rebounding into worship and praising God, they drift into despair. So how about you? Really, just think about it for a moment. Is is your grip on God tighter to him himself or to the gifts of his hand? It's real easy to get too attached to the blessings of God. It's where you take your eyes off the blesser himself. And Joseph, or Job, even though Job lost everything, he still chose to worship God. I had a friend the other day that handed me their phone because I had pointed out, like, you don't have a case. Are you kidding me? You haven't cracked your screen yet? And he handed it to me, and I, I held it and looked at it. And sure enough, it was in great condition. But they hadn't had a screen on that phone for, like, months and months and months. I'm like, man, I I couldn't even make it one month with no case on my phone because if I dropped my phone, that thing would would break and shatter. And and they had no case around it, so I'm holding their phone, but I'm holding it so carefully because I know that if I drop it, it's going to shatter. And I handed it back to them gently. I'm like, wow, that's impressive, man, but not me. I'm keeping a case on my phone. See, sometimes there's, there's things that we just hold on to so tightly. For whatever reason, we, we got a grip on that, like I did with that phone. We, we, we don't want to let it go because it matters to us. We worked really hard to get it. Right? We, we've, we've been there when we didn't have it, and now we do, and so we hold on so tight. It matters to us. We care about it. The things that you hold the closest are in greatest danger of becoming an idol in your life, something that you put above God. It's not that it's a bad thing in, a, in and of itself, and it's not that you need to care about it less or necessarily even love it less. It's that you need to love God more. You need to love God more. So, so what is the thing in your life that you love the most, that you care about the most, that you spend the most time on? See, order is, is everything. Order is everything. What is first in your life? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but tells us, but seek first, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. What are all the other things in your life that are competing for first place? Is there anything that in your life, that if it was taken away, you would stop worshiping God? The devil thought that's what would happen with Job, but, but God allowed the devil to take everything away from Job, and yet he still worshiped God. Would that be said of you and I? Would we still worship God if we lost the things that we care the most about? But seek first, it says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then all the other things, right? It's not that the other things are not important. It's just that they're not first. But it's so easy for those things to compete for the affection of our heart and the attention of our minds and practically become first. I don't think this happens anywhere as much as it does in in our pursuit of financial gain. Because financial gain in our lives is one of those areas where we tend to transfer our, our hopes to. We're talking about hope today. It's how we rebound from hard times. Well, we put hope in our financial resources because finances allow us to fix problems in our life. Finances might guarantee a retirement for you or a college tuition, right? Finances allow pleasure in your life. They, they allow you to have options. They allow you to pursue things that you enjoy, right? We can put our trust in finances, our security in finances. We work hard towards gaining money. See, this is something that's a, a, a big part of our culture, our whole culture revolves around being paid so we can exchange goods and services. And so there may not be any other area in our life that we can put first more than that is the tendency to put first in our life. And I think that's why tithing is such an important part of God's word. It teaches us to tithe, to, to not neglect tithing, to put it first. That first tenth we give back to God. It's not just the percentage that's important. It's the, it's the order. It's, it's putting God first in my budget first in my bank account, first in my bills, saying, God, before all these other things, and it's not that the other things are not important. It's just, God, I'm gonna put you first because the order is everything. And you're first ahead of my desire for security. I trust in you more than I trust in wealth. I, God, I trust in you, and I'm gonna put you first. Well, Job put God first in everything. And so when all the other things were taken away, he still had what was most important to him, and that was his relationship with God. Take a look at Job chapter one, Verse 22, it says, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
it's interesting that it says that he didn't sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In other words, it would be sin to charge God with wrongdoing. What a, what a tempting thing to do when things don't go how you want them to. To say, God, how could you let this happen to me and, charge, and start charging him with doing something wrong? Like, God, you did this wrong thing. That would be a very common response. But Job, here he responds in a different way. He responds in worship and he says, God, you know, I'm still going to worship you. You give, you take away, but, but you're still the same God. The same God that I, I loved and followed when I was blessed and in prosperity. So if I will live in poverty, I'll still worship you. Can you worship God the same in, in poverty and prosperity? Or your, your prayer is greater, filled with more worship when things are going well? See, I think actually we, we can worship better when, when we have lack, when we have needs because we're dependent on God. We say, God, I really need you to come through. God, I'm desperate for you. We worship God with, with everything when we have nothing. But when we have everything, it's really easy to give God nothing. So where are you at? Did you be in the camp where you finally have everything that you wanted, most everything you wanted? You find it's hard to, to give God something or... In the camp where you have nothing, and you're saying, God, you're my everything. I wonder which category in our lives we grow the most spiritually in. I wonder which area of, of life revival tends to birth in. I wonder what area of life that, that our greatest growth happens. Is it in times of blessing or is it in times of struggle? See, rebounding is important. It's important that we rebound and bounce back, but the goal is not just to bounce back from hard times so we can get to better times. The goal is to learn something when we hit the hard spots so that when we bounce back and rebound, we're actually stronger, we're better, we're more God-honoring. And Job hits a hard spot, but he chooses to worship God through it. Now, it's, it's very natural to ask why questions, and, and accusing God of wrongdoing is different than just saying, well, why, God, I don't understand how this happened, which is a, a very common response. You know, sometimes we do stand there awkwardly saying, well, God, I don't, I don't know what's happening, I don't know why. Our kids went trick-or-treating uh, the other night, and, you know, they, they dressed up. I had one that was dressed like a sumo wrestler. One was dressed like Moana, the Disney character. Another was dressed like a deer. And I love their costumes. They were amazing, but they're all super random, right, not related to each other at all. My, my oldest decided not to go trick-or-treating this year, so he just kind of walked around with us. And so the three that were dressed up, they walked up to a neighbor's door. Now, this neighbor had just moved in from out of country during this last 12 months. So this was his first Halloween in the United States. And the country that he came from did not, of course, celebrate this holiday. So my kids knocked on this door. He opened the door, saw them in these random outfits, like a deer, Moana, and a sumo wrestler, right? He's, he's just staring there and just awkwardly looking at them like, what's going on? And they say, trick or treat. Well, he has no idea what this means, like at all, has no idea. So he just stands there. We could tell from the street, just watching his facial expression, he was wondering, like, what is happening? So they stand there, and, and they're just kind of waiting for him to give candy, but there's, there's no candy coming. And he doesn't know what to say, and they're not saying anything. And so he just says, thank you. And he just slowly and awkwardly shuts the door in their face. We start busting up on the street. We're laughing so hard because we knew exactly what happened. He had no idea what was going on. He actually stopped by my house the next day because <laughs> we know each other. We've talked, and he said, hey, I'm sorry, man. My kids came home, and I told them what happened, and they laughed at me so hard because they knew what trick-or-treating was, but I just had no idea. <laughs> so I said, man, no, that's, that's funny. But, but maybe that's how, how you feel, right? The hard times hit, and you're standing there at the door awkwardly, not knowing what to do, not knowing what's going on, like what you're looking at like makes no sense to you. Like I have no idea. I feel like a foreigner in another land. Like I don't know what's happening. You know, Joseph had only experienced blessing in his life and prosperity and progress and things had gone so well. Now he's in a, a new season, trying to figure out some new things. Like, things are not going well. Perhaps for you when, you, when you get in those times and you awkwardly stand there and say, why God? A more helpful question would be say, God, what? What, what do you want to teach me in this time? What do you want to do in my life? How do you want me to respond to this very difficult time? Well, Job did not accuse God. Instead, look what he says in Job chapter 13. Later on this story, Job chapter 13, verse 15. Job says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though God slay me, though hard times come in my life, I still will hope in him. What a powerful word, to hope in God. My hope is in him no matter what I go through. And Job decides to hold on to God and not lose hope no matter what he goes through. Here's the idea. Hope is never lost when I find it in God. Hope is never lost 
when I find it in God? Where's your hope at? Is your hope in God? Or is your hope in the progress, the promotions, the prosperity? Where does your hope rest? If it rests in God, you can never lose it. Because if everything else is all gone, God will never leave you. If your life gets incredibly dark and everything around you is dark, you still have the light of Christ. If everything is all bad, God remains always good. Hope is never lost when I find it in God. So is your hope in God, truly? See, hope is crucial if you want to make progress and rebound in life because if you don't have hope, then you give up. No hope sometimes causes us to feel helpless, right? And, and Job was not helpless. There was better times to come, but he held on to his hope, and that's what got him through it. Unfortunately, everyone in his life did not have the same perspective. Let's take a look as things get worse in Job chapter 2, down in verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself with it. And he said among the ashes, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good things from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Wow, can you imagine? I mean, it's already bad, but now not only have you lost everything, but physically you're in tremendous pain. And your own wife says, just give up and die. Forget about it. We mentioned this last week, but it's so important that you listen to the right voices when you're down. When you're down, when you're in despair, when you've hit hard times and slowdowns and setbacks, you're just grasping for hope. You're grasping for air. And it's really important that what you bring into your mind comes from God and his word and not the world. And the world will deliver its messages in any way it can. And sometimes it can come through good people with good intentions. They don't want you to experience any more pain. Hey, just give up. It's not that big of a deal. You know, to, to do the right thing here would really cost you. You know what? Just this one time, just, you could cheat a little bit, it's fine. Nobody will even know, right? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, S- sleeping with and living with this girl that you're not married to. Uh, yeah, you save you rent, it'll be a little easier. It's not that big of a deal, everybody's doing it. But no, but God's word says that physical intimacy, sexual intimacy is only to be between one man and one woman inside marriage. So, no, that's, that's the right voice to listen to, God's word, even though there might be a convenient voice that's saying, take the shortcut. Someone else that might say, hey, hey you're busy. Hey, we, we got this thing going on. I mean, everybody's going to head out. We're going we're gonna to go check this out. You just don't worry about church this weekend. God understands. Right? It's, it's these other voices that can easily distract us from God's purpose and get us off mission where God wants us to go. Right? Because it's an easier path. Because everybody else is doing it. And Job's own wife says, hey, look, you've had so much pain, so many problems. Just give up and die. Just quit. It's really important that we don't allow other voices to derail us from faithfulness to God. Job chapter 2, look at verse 11. It says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. That's how bad it was for Job. They could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Look, verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. His suffering was so bad for a week, they just sat with him. No words, just tears. Just unbelievable. This this man that they've known, the, the greatest man in the East, it said. He'd lost everything, and now he was in the worst shape of anyone that they knew. Right? He was in pain. His problems abounded. And it says they sat there in silence with their friend. You know, just in the same way that we have to be careful of not allowing friends with good intentions distract us from the path that God has for us, it's really important that you do have friends in your life to be there for you when you're going through stuff, right? And, and they don't have to have all the answers, and you don't have to have all the answers for your friends that are going through stuff. You might have a job in your life right now that everything is falling apart on. You don't have to fix all the problems. You don't have to have all the answers. 
Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be there with them. I mean, it's that friend on the group text. It's always got the perfect GIF or emoji, right? And they just make you smile, make you laugh. You're just like so thankful they're part of that conversation because they just make it so much better. It's just, it's just like be that person that's always in the room that's like you're just going to make things better. Just by being there, just by being your, pre- your presence there is, is the best gift that you can give to someone when they're going through something. And, and sometimes it's our silent show of support that actually means the most. Now, silent doesn't mean invisible. Like it's important that you do actually show up. And silent, silent support doesn't mean that it doesn't cost you anything. These friends, they gathered together and they gave of their two most valuable resources that they had. They had their, their time, right? And they, they took time away to go. And then their, their, their financial resources, they took time away from other things and they invested in the trip. They traveled to go see Job and then they just, they gave of themselves. Like, hey, we're here to spend time with you, to comfort you, to help you. It also doesn't mean that silent support is the end of the conversation. It just means at the beginning, when there's a lot going on, when there's crises, it just means sometimes just showing up and being a silent supporter is the, the most powerful thing you can do in that moment. And, and later on, you'll have words and conversations and ask, how can I help and all those sorts of things. But sometimes just, just being there in that moment and an arm around the shoulder is the most powerful thing that we can, we can do. And, and believers throughout the New Testament, you see that they did this with each other and for each other all the time. In Acts chapter 2, when it's given us a description of what the early church looked like, it says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to that community, to each other, to God's word and his teaching. They were committed to it. They were committed. This is what makes life groups really work. Right? When, when groups gather together and spend time t- together experiencing life together, the ups and the downs, rejoicing together, mourning together, all of life experienced together in relationship. This is what it takes to make it work. Devoting yourself to it, committing to it. Say, I'm not gonna do life alone because we realize that we're better together. See, see, here's the lesson. We never rebound alone. We never rebound alone. When we're down, like, we don't rebound the best on our own. We, we need other people to help us in that process. Certainly, we need God to help us rebound, but we never rebound alone. We wanna have others around us. So, so who are the people around you right now that are helping you rebound? Who's the person in your life that you can call on if you're going through a hard time? I hope you have a few of them. And who is it that you're there for right now who's going through a hard time? Have you reached out to them? Have you checked in on them? You say, hey, I want to pray for you. How can I help? See, we need each other in this rebounding process. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because we all have blind spots. My parents were in town recently, and, and we went to Firehouse Subs right down the street from the church here in Dunedin. And it's backing out of the parking spot after we'd shared this meal together. And I was just slowly backing out, excited about where we're going next. And, and all of a sudden, I hear this crunch. And I feel this vibration throughout the car. And, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I knew it had happened. But I had backed into another vehicle. Now, this vehicle that I ran into was not there when I was getting into my, my vehicle. Right? But they were in, in a, a parking spot diagonal for me. And they had the same idea. They were going to back out and head out to their next adventure. Right? So we both were backing out at the same time. Neither one of us would think that there was a car there, but because both of us were backing out at the same time, and both of us, listen, were in each other's blind spots, so we couldn't see each other. Like we couldn't see each other, and we backed right into each other, both dented up our back bumpers. You know, it's no fun to have a, a wreck, but what's worse is to have a wreck in your life because you have a blind spot that you never saw. And friends help expose our blind spots, asking for feedback. Opening up your life enough to allow others inside to where they know the real you so they can help iron sharpen iron, make each other better. When you can be close enough to someone when they're going through something, you can pray for them and also you can, without them telling you, know how you can help, know what they need and be there for them. See, we never rebound alone. We need others. Sometimes we need to ask for help. Sometimes we need to refer others to help. Sometimes we can be the help. But helping others builds hope. And if you don't have hope and you're hopeless, then usually you don't rebound very well. But coming to the place where you give up hope that you can do it alone is actually what allows you to get help and build hope in your life. Let me say that again because I know it's a lot there. It's not until I give up hope of helping myself. I'm not going to rebound alone. I'm not going to fix this alone. I need others. It's not until I give up hope that I can do it alone that I actually find help, right, which allows me to experience hope. See, I, I need others to help me get to a place of hope. And, and, and Job, he had friends around him that cared about him. They sat with him. That, that seven days was the best thing his friends would do, right? 
and probably instilled so much encouragement to him that he didn't lose everything. He probably looked up from time to time, so I still got somebody there with me. Certainly God, most importantly, he knew he had God with him. That gave him help, gave him hope. His friends would go on to tell him all kinds of messed up stuff about the circumstances. They were actually wrong. It tells us that towards the, the latter parts of the, the, the book. But the best thing that his friends did was just to sit with him in silence. That's the one thing they got right for certain. We never rebound alone. Whose presence do you need in your life, and who do you need to be present in their life right now? Job chapter 19. Let's look at these amazing words. Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another how my heart yearns within me. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Like, I know that God is still in control. I know that God is with me. I know that I'm going with him to heaven one day. The best is still yet to come, even though I'm experiencing the worst. You might be experiencing the worst of life right now, but you can know that God's best for you is still to come. God still has more planned for you. He's not giving up on you. And when you hit hard times, when you hit difficult seasons in life, you can rebound because you can still have hope. You can still have hope in God. And Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Jesus is our Redeemer. He redeemed us not only from hard times, but he redeemed us from sin that was gonna lead to an eternal death. Talk about a hard spot to be in. Eternal separation from God. Suffering for our sins. See, there's one of two ways your sins can be paid for. You can pay for your sins for all of eternity or Jesus can pay for them. And he he hung there on that cross willingly paying for your sins and mine. If we'll receive him into our life and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Please save me from all of the, the pain and problems of my sin. God, please give me salvation. Save me from my sin. And Jesus does that when we ask. He saves us from our sin. He's so good. And and here Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he's still with me. I know that he hasn't given up on me. You know, it's hard to come to God when, when things are broken around you. You feel broken. You feel like, hey, I, I don't know if God will even take me. I don't know if he'll even be able to help me. I got so many problems. I think I need to pull some things together. Then, then I'll go to God. Then I'll go to church. Then I'll, and I'll pull things together. But I love what uh, Christian pastor and author uh, Robert Madu said. He said, the church is a hospital for the broken It's not a museum for perfect people. You don't have to get your life together so that you can go to church, so that you can be around God. Come as you are, broken, messed up, with your problems, with your doubts. Come to God, bring who you are, and God does the healing work through his church in our lives. And that's why it's important for us to be in church, not just be online, watch an online service, to be in a worship service, be around other believers, be in a group, have those relationships because we don't rebound alone. You need others. You and your laptop and Jesus is not enough. Sure, Jesus theologically is enough. He's everything that we need, but he never said that he's all that he wants in your life. He says he, he wants to have the church in your life, other believers in your life. He wants you to pray together, love each other, serve each other. God wants us to have relationships. We never rebound alone, right? But the most important name in our life when we're going through hard times, the most important name in our life is the name of Jesus. Right? We just got through this political season and there's political signs everywhere in our communities, right? We saw all these different names. I just saw one guy standing on a street corner and he had three of these political signs taped together and he, he's holding the, the metal bars between the signs and all three of them, same, same sign, same name, but he's holding this name and you could tell he's really passionate about that name. I don't even remember what name it was. I don't even remember what office they were running for, but he knew it was the name that was on his mind and he was there wanting everybody to vote for that name because he had hoped that that name, if elected, would change things. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. But the reality is is that the name above all names, the name of Jesus is the name that changes everything. And when we give our name, our story to that great name, and we say, Jesus, there's no other name that means as much as your name to me. When we turn our lives over to him, God can produce hope in our lives. He can bring forgiveness and transformation. But we have to come to his name and say, Jesus, your name is greater than my name. Your name is greater than all these other things I was holding on to. And Job had a lot of other names in his life. He had a lot of other responsibilities and blessings. But he said, in the end, the name above all names, the name of of the Lord my God is the most important name in my life. See, hope changes everything because hope allows things to change in our life. See, See, hope in Jesus extracts purpose from my pain. 
That's the final lesson out of this whole story is that, that hope in Jesus, it extracts purpose in my pain. I can find that there's a purpose. I can grow closer to God. I can find out what it is that he wants to do in my life. I can move closer to him and be used even in the midst of my pain. And Joseph becomes even a minister to his friends in this difficult season. He even gets to pray over them. In Job chapter 42, I want you to see how this, this story ends. Job chapter 42, look with me, if you will, at verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Did you see that? Right there before our eyes, twice as much. He was already blessed. He was already the greatest man in the East and God blessed him twice as much. He restored him in the end. He had lost what felt like everything. He was in pain, he had all kinds of problems, but God restored him in the end. He bounced back, he rebounded from those hard times. Why? Because he never gave up hope. Because he had other people in his life. He listened to the right voice. He chose to worship God instead of rebel against God because of the hard times. But that's not all that happened. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. He was blessed. God gave him back an abundance of the very things that he lost and he gave him even more. Look at finally verse 15. It says, nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After all this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man full of years. Wow, Joseph was so blessed. His family was blessed, his life was blessed. He died an old man surrounded by blessings, even though there was a time in his story where he was surrounded by pain. What if your story, although you're surrounded by pain right now, what if you could see the future? What if you could see Psalm 23 verse six? the goodness and love of God will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What if you could just see out into the future beyond your current mess, beyond your current problems? What if you could just see where things are going? And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, Brandon, how do you know things are gonna get better? They might not get better in my life. In fact, things could even get worse. That's why I'm all messed up because I don't have any hope. See, that's the problem. You're not looking far enough out into the future. Right? What you're, you're seeing is just how bad things are and you're projecting out next month, next year, maybe even the rest of your life and you're saying, you know what, it's just gonna get worse and worse. It's never gonna get any good. And so you don't have hope. But when you'll look out in the future beyond all the problems and you'll see your provider and see where you're really heading as a child of God, I'm headed for an eternity in paradise where there's no more pain and suffering. There's no more tears. Not only is there no more problems, I'll be there with the presence of God. Like I have such great things to look forward to. And when you look out into the future beyond your problems, and you can see blessing, that builds hope. Whatever it is that you see when you look into the future, it's gonna either build hopelessness or it's gonna cause hope to rise within you. So you just need to look further out into the future. I mean, you need to look past the current problems. You need to look past your current pain and say, you know, I know it's gonna get better eventually, so I'm gonna trust God in the midst of my pain. And even in the midst of your pain, you can find rising hope when you experience the presence of God, surrounded by problems, but filled with the presence of God. And this is exactly what Job did. He knew that God was one call away, no matter what he went through. Sometimes I'll call home, I'll be out for a meeting and I'll call back home to ask Jennifer something and her phone is on silent and she doesn't answer it. She's busy with the children. And, and so I can't get through to her. So I love that we have this little Echo Amazon device on our kitchen counter, right? And it helps play music and some other things, but I love it. It's attached to my phone. And what it acts like is like a speaker in my house. It's like I can call to this device and I can say over the, the speaker in our kitchen, say, hey, Jen, can you pick up your phone? <laughs> I love it. I don't know what she thinks about it, but I can get a hold of her anytime I need. I can say, hey, babe, can you, can you call me back? And she'll call me back on her phone. And I, I know that I can reach her even if she doesn't answer. Even if I can't hear her voice right in that moment, I know I can get through to somebody or somebody's home. Right? And, and you might feel like you keep throwing these prayers up into the sky and there's no answers that you see, no visible answers. But what you can know on authority of God's word is that when you call, you can get through. He hears you in your suffering. He's close to the brokenhearted. He was right there with Job in the middle of his pain. And all Job had to do is, is to cry out and worship. And God would eventually restore him. But in the midst of his problems, God would be real to him. And he wants to be real to you right in the middle of your pain. And in the pain of your friends' lives right now through you. So don't turn your back on God when things get hard. Turn to God and say, God, you're everything to me. And even if I lost everything else, God, I've really lost nothing that matters because God, you're everything to me. So move closer to him in suffering. 
move closer to him in pain. Because out of, out of pain, out of problems, we can extract great purpose by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And my hope is that this, that's exactly what you'll do, is put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, endured great pain for use, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we know in God's word is that Jesus went through great pain for your provision, provision of salvation. And he's called us to follow in his footsteps, to take up our cross, sometimes going through pain so that we can experience the grace and goodness of God in our lives. Right on, right on, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your amazing blessings in our life, even when we don't deserve it. Thank you for your presence in our life, even when all the other things around us might be falling apart. I pray for the person today who's suffering, who's going through struggle. God, may they fix their eyes on you, trust in you, move closer to you, not further away from you. And Father, we just thank you so much for how much you love us, how much you care about us. We thank you for how good you are to us. And I pray right now in this moment, God, that you would help us to move closer to you in the midst of, not after, but in the midst of our greatest battles. We love you so much today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before our usher team comes forward to receive our tithes and offerings and response cards, here's a few important things happening with our CE family. If you've made a recent commitment to Christ or if you've renewed your relationship with Him, please check out this website that we have made just for you. It contains several resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. There are custom growth step videos that we have created links to resources such as YouVersion Bible app and many more helpful tools. As our ushers come forward to collect our response cards and receive our tithes and offerings, we all trust God in ways we don't even think about, from sunrise to sunset, even the air that we breathe. But when it comes to our finances, trust doesn't come as naturally. We tend to separate our financial life from our spiritual life. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus connects the two. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is tied to our hearts, and it is an important part of our spiritual journey. When we give, it is an act of worship and an act of trust. Whether you choose to give in the offering bucket in the service, online, or set up recurring giving, know that your generosity is making a difference for God's kingdom and fueling the message of hope through Jesus Christ to so many people. Thank you for being on mission with us to help more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ. was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I met you I was breathing but not Alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my turn till I met you. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. 
that I know The old maid knew Jesus when I met you day with you here at CE. You may have made a commitment during the service and we'd love to hear and reach out and you tell us more about it by scanning the QR code. If you have any questions, comments, prayer requests, you can scan that same QR code or go to churchexperience.tv backslash connect. Hope to hear from you. If you haven't checked out our CE social media, Instagram, Facebook, website or app make sure you do so or go and hit ahead and hit the subscribe button i love our time together and we can't wait to see you guys next week